What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining me today is Mike Luzio. He is a self-made entrepreneur, a self-proclaimed hustler, and former CEO who bootstrapped his first business, Industry Retail Group, in 2004 with just $15,000 and in 2016 sold the company for more than $50 million. He's a graduate of the University of Maryland, go Terps. Go Terps. He continues to service client businesses to deliver optimal performance via human capital consulting and strategic investment opportunities at the helm of the LVE group. He is a Terp. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. That is a mouthful right there. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate you taking the opportunity to, uh, out of your day to have me on. So good to meet you. Yeah, no, you as well. So let's go back in time. Um, where are you from originally and how much of your childhood was entrepreneurship related? Yeah, so I'll answer the second part first. I'd say zero, <laughs> right? I mean, I think you, first off, I was born in Ohio, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. My parents were both from Ohio, both graduates of uh, Kent State University. My father was in law enforcement. When I was young, very young, we got, tra got transferred to New York City, uh, and we bought a home in New Jersey. So while I have clear Ohio roots, and, and I don't hide from that because I got a lot of family out there, you know, I was really raised in, uh, in the great state of, uh, of New Jersey. Um, right down by the shore. It was great. My mother was a teacher. Her father was uh, in law enforcement. So middle-class upbringing, uh, no, no entrepreneurs uh, in, in my immediate family. My grandfather was a pharmacist, had his own pharmacy. But outside of that, hard work, discipline, that was kind of how I was raised. So, you know, did I do the uh, lemonade stands and stuff like that? Like, uh, yeah, but, you know, there wasn't this uh, massive entrepreneurial bug. I thought, I thought growing up, you know, I, I might be in law enforcement as well. I might be a lawyer. I might do some of that, but no, you know, I didn't come out of the womb wanting to sell, you know, Girl Scout cookies and make a dollar. That wasn't me, you know? Okay. Okay. So you had that upbringing, middle-class, mostly Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, when you, so walk us through like high school and college, like what did you study? Did you think you were going to have like a normal day job? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. What I, what I try to tell a lot of people when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I, I I, I kind of always been the same way, really high energy person, uh, but but always not, never afraid to try something new, right? So I was your typical high school kid growing up in Central Jersey, who was a pretty good student, probably could have done better, but you know, I was a good student. Uh, went to a very diverse high school, which I think was good for me, very good for me, right? I had a lot of white friends, black friends, Spanish friends, and I thought that was great. It was a good influence for me, uh, and I still do. Um, but I was, you know, the captain of the football team, you know, the all-state uh, football player uh, in my high school. But I was also one of the leads in the school musicals in the spring, right? So, and everyone, when I started to do that, and the first one I did was Chicago, everyone was like, well, football players, they, they don't do the musicals. <laughs> because, you know, it was definitely stepping out of my comfort zone. So it's something that I've always uh, been willing to do, right? I mean, 
when I went to the musicals, it was, I always remember this because it's a different crowd, right? You have the theater crowd and you have kind of the jock crowd and they don't necessarily always mix well. And when I went for the tryouts for Chicago and, and, and won the part for Mr. Cellophane and had to do a song on stage and dance, I remember the theater kids kind of, it was a little not accepting of me and would be like a theater kid going out for a sports team. But you know what? I, at the end of the day, you know, I am who I am and, I, and I'm going to be the same when I was with the theater kids or I was with the jock kids and it just worked. So you know, I always tell people, you know, don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone, even when you're 15, 16, 17, because I really do believe that the stuff that I did in high school helped transform who I am today. I had great mentors and leaders and a tremendous football coach and Joe Martucci. I had a tremendous theater coach and Margot Krupe, and they helped shape me a lot of who I am as well as certainly my parents. So that was me in high school, right? Got it. So tell me more about these coaches and specifically, what did you learn from sports? Because in my, I played high school football and I'll never forget coach Fujini and everything he talked about. Fujini, now he's Irish, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> um, so coach Fujini, oops, I'm sorry, I can switch. That's all right. I got too excited. I get it. I know, right? You're knocking my camera. So Fujini's in the house and still screaming at you. So tell me what you learned from your football coach, but also did you learn similar or different things from your mentor coach in the theater? Oh, oh, without question. Uh, so I'll start with uh, theater. You know, when I was in uh, sophomore in Spanish class and I had this Miss Krupa who also was the drama coach uh, and she did, the, she did the plays in the fall, which I couldn't do because that was football season, but she did <laughs> musicals in the spring, right? And she came to me and I was kind of a character certainly in class without question. Um, but you know, not a bad kid, but a character. And she said, you're, you know, one day she comes up to me in the fall and she says, you're, you're, you're kind of out of your mind, you know, like you should come out and do the musicals, Michael. And I, I'm like, look, I'm not doing that. I'm going to catch a lot of shit, you know, if I do this. And she goes, Michael, I think you'd be great at it. And blah, blah, blah. And, and what she taught me was you just be you don't be afraid and think and don't worry about what other people think. Cause I sure shit was worried about what coach Martucci, my, my football coach was going to say when I went to him and said, Hey, instead of doing, you know, uh, winter or um, spring track, right. And throw the shot put, I'm going to be doing the musical for the next six weeks. Right. Um, but you know, I learned it's, it's okay to be you and accept people for who they are. And, you know, I say this all the time, I use this in business all the time. You know, until I see someone part a Red Sea or walk on water, we're all the exact same. We've all got the same issues at home. We've got the same issues with family, different for some. But listen, I've taken that in my career and I've, and I've run with it. If I've met, you know, Vaynerchuk's on the wall back here. I've got an opportunity to know him a little bit. He, he, Gary Vaynerchuk's no different than me than sitting here talking to Dan Russo, who's one of the guys who works on my team. I mean, we're all cut from this. We're all the same person, just different. different. Um, but I learned that from her. I really did. She said, accept people for who they are, because I was stepping into, here's this jock who plays football, and I was stepping into the theater scene, which was great, but it was. The kids were a little bit different than me, the, you know, a little more shy, a little more reserved. She said, just be you and they'll really like you and accept them for who they are. So I learned that from her. And it was, it was so integral to me in my life and it's been integral to me in my business, I guess, success. Mm, very so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, valuable lessons early on high school. So tell us about Maryland. Yeah. What did you study there? Were you thinking at all about your career? Were you learning these valuable lessons in, in new programs, groups, organizations? Yeah, so when I was going off to college, it was to play football or not to play football, right? And I, I really, 
I kind of exhausted it. I, I was ready to move on. You know, I had some offers from some 1AA schools, had a chance to potentially play a little bit at Maryland, but it, it, it wasn't what I wanted. It's what my dad wanted, but it wasn't what I wanted, right? I was kind of ready to be done with it. I wanted to enjoy a, a really great college experience. And University of Maryland was a big school. It looked like a, a real university with the pillars and the this. And I said, it felt right. My sister was there at the time. I'd been down to visit. It felt right. But when I got to school, I was, um, I, I did not know what I wanted to do. I, you know, I was undecided for that first year. Uh, and then finally, you know, I'm a big kind of political science, government politics type of guy. I, I, I said, I'm probably going to be a lawyer. That's what I'm going to do. Or I'm going to go into law enforcement. So here we are, the guy who ran a a computer IT company with no business, with no business classes. I mean, I went to college and I say this to everybody, I was a political science major, right? I mean, I took no business classes. I took no computer classes. I mean, I remember the, the guys in computer science, but they come out, hair all messed up, they look all doped up. I'm like, who the, who's ever gonna wanna do that? And, <laughs> and I remember thinking, it was 1994, I'm like, is computers really a thing? Like, is that really gonna take off? I mean, like the internet was literally, literally just coming out. And I remember my, my still good friend, Ed Brooks was across the hall and I hear that. And he's like, look, you can go on ESPN and check the scores. And I'm like, hey, this thing's kind of cool. So I could check scores on this computer. <laughs> I but, uh, you know, political science major was great. Um, once I decided I wasn't playing football, it, I was, there was a little depression sinking in there. And I was thinking of maybe transferring out, maybe going to play at a Rhode Island or a Delaware. And um, you know what? I, I said, you know what? I got to stick to my guns. I'm going to stay at Merrill. My parents are my parents are paying for school and I'm going to do this, this crazy thing and join a, a fraternity, right? Mm. Where you pay for your friends, right? <laughs> uh, and I, I did, I, I, I found the fraternity which best suited me, which was kind of like a, a lot of ex-jock guys like myself mm. and um, Sigma Chi. And I, I, I felt like I fit in there, but I was going in really for the partying aspect, but like anything in my life, like even when I sold my business, I said, I'm going to retire. And that didn't happen. It was, um, I got in, I saw some changes need to be made, you know, and I started taking leadership positions within the fraternity. It was a huge fraternity at the time. We had 60 guys in the house, 150 active, 30 active. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I became the president of that house. I mean, it's kind of like my life. It's, you know, it's the captain of the football team, the lead in the musicals. It's, it's, I'm always trying to win and it's not saying I'm better than anyone, but I always want to be successful and I always want to win. And guess what? I lose all the time, but you know, for me, I saw stuff that needed to happen in that house and it, it, I needed to be the president of that house and it, and it was great. And it was, it is a huge learning experience. As I said, I'm on the board of trustees at Maryland now. And as I said, in the first board meeting, what, what most people don't realize is when you have a fraternity house or a sorority house or, or to that degree, you, that's my first business. That was the first business I ran, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've got all these friends in the house who are drinking and doing stupid shit and like not paying their dues. And now I'm the president and you, you, you know, they're your friends, but at the end of the day, you know, you're the CEO of that house, right? You're, you're, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you know, profit and loss statements. You gotta collect dues, you, you know, along with some other people, but you know, I had a good time in college. I learned a lot. I had some great mentors in school. I, I'm big about latching on to people who I think are, um, you know, there's just, there's just people out there that you know, and you, you do this, you know, for kind of for a living, you gravitate towards people, right? I'm attracted to good people. I'm not, you know, physically attracted. I mean, I'm emotionally attracted, yeah, yeah. you know, male or female, where it's like, man, 
this person's got something. I want to take whatever they have and, and, and take some of that for me and, and learn from them. I'm, I'm always constantly learning. And, and I had a bunch of those mentors like that at the University of Maryland. And how did you position yourself to either meet their needs or be likable or do whatever it takes? Because, right, if everyone goes up to these successful people, they're not going to take everyone under their wing. But it yeah. sounds like these people really respected you, gave you what they had to offer, and took you under their wing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I've made it my life's mission, I guess, to get to know everybody in the room. I put that post out before, you know, I make it my business to know everyone. And I heard someone say that, a very successful guy by the name of Shelby Bryan, He's actually been uh, partners with Anna Wintour, uh, who's, you know, who is Anna Wintour uh, for the last 20 years. And Shelby was a, a, a guy who said that to me one time. But I realized that's kind of what I always do, making my business know people. People ask me how I got to know Vaynerchuk. And uh, I didn't know who Gary Vaynerchuk was um, because I just, I wasn't a self-help motivational guy, but I meet some guy in 2014 or so. And he said, you remind me a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk, don't you think? And I go, I don't know who that is. Right. And he goes, oh, blah, blah, blah. He tells me. So I send, I said, I'd like to get to know this guy. Right. So I sent a note to Vaynerchuk and, and I knew someone who knew him. And I put that person's name in the subject line. I said, Hey, I think we're cut from the same cloth. I sold my business. I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I said, but, uh, you know, I said, I'm going to give you a movie line and tell me if you think it's right. And the movie line was from The Departed. And that movie line, there's a line in there where, um, where Martin Sheen says, do you want to be a cop or do you want to appear to be a cop? Because a lot of guys like to carry the guns, but do they really want to dig in and be a real cop? And I said, now insert the word entrepreneur in there. Do you want to be an entrepreneur or do you want to appear to be an entrepreneur? Because wow. Like, like Vaynerchuk always says, you know, a lot of people, 20 years ago, you were an entrepreneur, you were fat ass sitting on your couch in your parents' basement, right? You've heard Vaynerchuk say it, but he's right because now everyone, oh, it's cool. I got, I'm an entrepreneur. And you're like, well, are you really an entrepreneur? You know, I, I, this is interesting. I have an investment I'm looking at and I'm going to, not anymore. But the interesting part was this person was kept coming to me. This is what I do for a living. I invest in companies and take, uh, you know, put some capital behind them and take some equity. Now. This guy comes a year ago and he really wants me to be a big part of this, big part of this. And he goes, but he'll get back to me when he gets back from vacation. And I go, vacation? You're looking for hundred grand from me, but you're going to two-week vacation. And I'm like, that's not really an entrepreneur. So then for the next year, he's bugging me about money. And I'm listening and I'm vetting it and vetting it and vetting it. And I get another note. Hey, we love to close this round of financing out right before I take my family to Cancun. And I'm like, is this really the guy? You know, I want the guy or the gal who's sitting there eating ramen noodles while mm -hmm. talking to me. And, and like one of my investments, Super Coffee, and I'm not, they're doing amazing. The, the, I said to these guys, they take $30,000 of your salaries. The company's now valued at, at 60, just over, just under $60 million, an investment I'm in. And, and I said to them when we were, when I was writing a check to them, I said, we're, we're, they're in the city, they're downtown. And I said, let's go celebrate. I'll go buy everyone a drink. And they've been there for four months and they go, yeah, you know, yeah, we don't know any bars. And I'm like, you don't know any bars. I said, this is all they do. They eat, sleep, work out, eat, sleep, work out seven days a week. I said, that's the jockey I want to bet on. Yeah. So, there you go. Right about way to get I love that. It reminds me of when I was at uh, the last hedge fund I worked at. We hired this kid from Russia, Emil Kalikov. It was like 120 degrees in the summer, and he's like, I sleep on the floor, no air conditioner. Right, 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 right. That's right. That guy would roll up his sleeves, find the best damn investments, no That's days it. off. Yeah, I mean, look, people ask me all the time, you know, who, who, what type of companies do I invest in? Because the, the business I had, 
and sold was an IT services company. And so they're like, you just invest in tech. I'm like, no, absolutely not. I invest in the jockey and the idea. And if they, if they found a white space and if it's something that can potentially grow and sell for a hundred million dollars, like, or more, that's what I look for. And the first thing I look at is the jockey, whether she or he has it and what it takes, or if I can interact with that person, because I'm going to write a check and I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to write a check and I'm going to activate my network to see if I can help your business grow because that's what I do for a living now. I'm not a Wall Street guy who's writing a check and then goes to my Wall Street job. You know, my job is to find companies or they find me, I invest in them and I help make them grow. And it's, it's, it's exhilarating for me because I get to work with people like Jim DeSico at Super Coffee and some of these other guys, Dino's at, you know, another investment we just did, which was uh, Aloe Glow Water. I mean, it's just fun. And by the way, I've made mistakes too. I've gotten starstruck in a deal where, you know, it was a kind of a famous person and, you know, I don't think the investment's going to go, but I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I'm in with this person. It's like, oh, maybe it wasn't, you know? So, you know, I'm learning as I go and I fail and I succeed every day. That's great. And I want to get back onto that, but let's just go back in time a little bit. So we talked about your college experience. Yep. Coming out of college, do you do the day job? Do you go right into starting your own business? How does that play out? So I had the opportunity while in college to meet another mentor of mine, who's still a mentor of mine. His name was Sam Chamberlain. Now Sam Chamberlain came to my fraternity and he had just started a recruiting firm and he was putting in entry level salespeople into jobs, you know, $30,000 a year job. I think my job was $27,000 a year. But, and Sam came and said, hey, I've got this recruiting firm. I'm looking for college kids and I'm going to place them in sales job. Um, Sam Chamberlain, now you can look him up after, is now really one of the key guys and the chief operating officer at Five Guys and one of the main people responsible for its ridiculous growth. But uh, Sammy said to me, you know, we met and he was that guy where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm attracted to this guy. Like he's got something like I want to go to law school, but this guy's telling me I'm a born salesman and you've got something more in you. And I, and I believed him. And I, and I guess to some degree he was right. Uh, and when Sammy takes me under his wing and says, look, I'm going to get you a job. I said, he said, where do you want to be? I said, I want to stay down in DC because I want to extend college for another year. Like all of us kind of want to. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, I'm going to, uh, you're going to go work for Rico and sell copiers. And I go, what? I mean, the technology boom's about to hit. It's 1998. He goes, now listen, go do it for one year. Go sell copier machines for one year. If you can sell a copier machine, you're gold, right? And you're gold because it's the hardest sale because no one wants to buy a copier because everyone's got a copier. No one wants to buy a fucking copier. They're like, this is crazy, right? Get out of my office. face. And uh, I went and worked for Rico. I had a great sales manager, old school copier salesman guy. His name was Joe Fine. And like, you'd make a mistake, he'd like literally kick you under the table. Like, like nowadays, <laughs> Fine was kind of that guy. But he was great. Like, he taught me a lot in that year. And, and, and I made, you know, you get those statements from the IRS or whatever. I made like $85,000, right? My first year, 1998, selling copiers. And I'm like, Oh my God. And when, by the way, they gave me the shittiest territories. Like it was awful. Like I had schools, like universities and they were just shit jobs. And like finding terms of me, how did you make 85 grand? I'm like, ah, you know, I was just talking, you know, like no soliciting meant 
keep knocking, you know, or open more doors. I mean, no, it, I mean, I had a guy at the time who became my business partner, uh, Joe Manzari and Joe and I would like literally compete to see if you get thrown out of more buildings. Like he worked for <laughs> Lanier and you'd be like, how many did you get thrown out? And you'd be like six. I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to throw an eight. You know, ah. <laughs> I mean, that was my first year. Right. But I learned so much cause I'm, I was selling a product that no one really wanted. And you, I buy this $50,000 product. You already have one, but you should really get it from me because mine collates or whatever the heck it did. <laughs> so <clears throat> did that for a year. That was my first job, right? But that was it, man. I got that sales bug, right? I'm like, damn, my friends on Wall Street are making this kind of money. And I'm selling, you know, two-ton machines to universities. Like, I loved it. You know, I fell in love with sales at that moment. Um, and, and, and that kind of... It was that moment, I go back to Sam Chamberlain at the time, I was still running the recruiting firm. I said, okay, Sammy, I did it. I made 85 grand. You know, the dot-com boom is happening right now. I want to get back home. So I wanted to get into Manhattan. I wanted to move into the city, get closer to my family, et cetera, et cetera, my friends. And he finds me a job at a, at a startup called, um, oh, Christ, how can I remember it? Uh, man, the fact that it's escaping me right now is crazy. Uh, but, you know, walked in there and... Uh, and, and what the hell is it? Net, network, network, network access solutions. Jesus, I can't believe I read it. But I, I go to NAS and uh, I get in a technology company and, and I'm exposed to that. I was literally, I'm older than you, so I was in the boom. I was in the 98, 99, 2000, 2001 boom. I go for a company, I'm like employee 32. It goes to a thousand employees. You know, I was like the fifth sales guy. By the time the company, you know, shit the bed, there was a hundred sales guys, but I lit, I went over with the other copier guy who became my business partner and we competed for number one, number two sales guys for three and a half years. And I, I Joe's ever listened to this. He knows I was always one and he was always two. But at the end of the day, we just competed back and forth and I was getting paid stupid money. I figured out the comp plan. I figured out everything, figured out how to sell it, a comp plan. And I was just, I was, it was awesome. I'm making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. And then of course it was the landscape for, how not to build a company. Like I, I didn't realize it was on site training, but I was starting to realize what it was kind of like to be an entrepreneur, what it was like to, to run a, run a company, but the wrong way, you know, it, I just, I watched it all unfold. I watched, you know, I watched the company go public. I watched them get an offer from a huge telco and they didn't take it and they didn't take it. it would have been $800 million sale. Uh. But, but there were so many of those in yeah. 2000, right? And then, you know, the stock was 38 and within six months, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's less than five cents, right? And, and, but again, still not knowing I want to be an entrepreneur, but, I'm, you know, it's like battle scars. I'm learning, right? I'm learning. Mm -hmm. um, that company literally, go, you know, goes away. I leave. I realize, okay, maybe I should go find a, a big company because now I've been working for an internet startup. Maybe I go work for a big company, a multi-billion dollar a year company. So I do. I have the opportunity to go work in sales in New York City for um, Sprint. Uh, this was kind of before the cell phone craze. We were doing a lot of stuff. It wasn't really cell, it was no cell phones, but I go work for Sprint and I, I yet again, I get a taste of the multi-billion dollar company and man, I don't like it, right? Because now there's rules, right? I mean, the internet startup, you know, you're drinking beer in the afternoon and you know, you're you know, now it's like very buttoned up suits and, and this. However, I, I learn my craft. I get the opportunity to go meet CIOs of Fortune 500 companies, CIO of American Express, CIO of Credit Suisse First Boston at the time. So now I'm, I'm rounding myself out. I've got this internet startup 
in me. I've now realized how to talk to C-suites, right? And I really did have to learn how to do that. And so I was learning, you know, not really realizing I was learning. And I have this, this, this moment that I've said many a times, but it, it's true. It was great. <clears throat> Joe, Joe Manzeri, my, my business partner, one of my business partners, came to me and said, I've got this idea to start this, you know, uh, broadband aggregation company. And this is 2004, I was 27. And he goes, you should do it. And with me, and I said, all right, I'm thinking about it. And you know, this is how I really started to become an entrepreneur. I said, okay, I'm not the entrepreneur who's going to like literally put everybody in debt and all my family members get on my back. It's just, I would feel too guilty about that. I'm just being very honest, right? Yeah. Um, 2004, Joe says, I got this idea. I, I like the idea. I understood the idea. And um, I'm like, you know what? I think I can do this. If, if I fail when I'm 27, 28, 29, I can always go back into sales. I'm a sales guy. I can always make money. It's how I talk. It's how I've always been. Uh, and uh, my aha moment, literally, I have one, was uh, I was pretty close to quitting. Uh, so I, maybe it's not an aha moment, but, but, but it's funny as shit. So I'm sitting in a Monday morning meeting in Manhattan, and you know these, you know the Monday morning meetings with the bagels and the orange juice and, <laughs> and the butter, right? Yep. You know, bringing it in. And uh, they, they're all sitting at the table, all the bagels and stuff. And this old timer, to me, he was an old timer at the time. He was probably in his mid fifties. He comes over and uh, he starts touching all the bagels for like, you know, hardness or what's the, <laughs> like, like your age group, my age group, and certainly younger, you know, we know that's a faux pas, brother. You yeah. don't touch the food that I'm about to insert into my mouth, right? <laughs> so he's the guy, he's the guy, as, as a man, he's the guy who goes to the bathroom, you know, there's a Seinfeld episode about it, but he's the guy who goes to the bathroom, comes out of the stall, does a little of this, you know, checks himself out in the mirror and walks out and you're like, oh, what about the sink? What about the washing of the hands, right? He's that guy. So oh, no. he touches him and, you know, I turn to him and I'm just like fed up. I'm like, this is it. And I go, hey, hey, Bill, are you going to touch every fucking bagel over there? Because some must want to eat them. And he's like, I mean, the whole room is shocked, like that I said it. I yeah. walk into the GM's office and he's a good guy, Mike. And I said, Mike, I'm out of here. And he goes, you're quitting. You, you have this bright future. You're doing amazing well. He goes, you're the cornerstone of that. I said, yeah, we're also going to have an HR issue. So it's probably easier that I just leave right now. Right? <laughs> and that was it, you know, and, and, and I went home and I said to my, to, to my wife, I said, listen, I'm starting this business. And she said, okay. And she said, what's your salary? And I said, well, it's zero. Cause we have no customers. We don't have anything. And she goes, well, how long is it going to be zero? I said, as long as, long as I don't sell anything, it's going to be zero. And, and literally that was it. It was 2004. We used savings that we had and we started a company in my basement, in Joe's basement. And it was Joe and me. Then we brought on another business partner and Gabe was our CTO. And then it was bootstrapped and let's go. And it was bone crushing, hard ass work until the day I sold it and bone crushing, hard ass work for the next three years that I had to run it with it from 13 to 16. And it never stopped. And it was, and I said, at that point, I guess, I was a born, I was then a born again entrepreneur uh, at 27 and I never looked back. And what, 
so many questions to unpack there, but what was, first of all, what did the guy say to you when you told him to stop touching the bagels? Oh, oh the, the entire, so the entire, the entire, because I'm loud as shit. Okay. I'm kind of demonstrative, right? So I didn't say it like, hey, Bill, you know, you're going to touch every fucking bagel. I said, I said it loud. Like I talk and I, 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 you hear a pin drop. I mean, it was like, Bill looks at me like, like, what are you talking about? Like, isn't this normal to grab and feel every bagel? Like, and the look was like, I'm going to kill you or throw you out of there. Like literally, I, you know, but that was it. That was, that was that corporate America moment Yeah. where I'm just like, there's so many, there's so many things holding me back. I remember looking at, you know, I remember being in that office, you know, I learned a lot from the internet startup, but being in the big office and you'd see people at, they'd be the same salespeople at 18, 25% of plan for 10 years. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Get trim the fat. Let's go, man. Like I'm working my balls off on 150% of plan. And this guy's this guy or this guy's at 15, 20% plan. You're like, this is stupid. And I learned a ton there. Like that, that experience there was, you know, if, you know, if you're not rowing the same way in my company at the company I started, get off, get off the boat, throw them off, man. Like we all be going the same way. I had to realize in my life that I run very, very fast and no, not a lot of people are going to be able to keep up and that's okay. But give me a hundred percent. I mean, I get it. You're not going to give a hundred and somebody can't give what I give because it's just in me. But at the end of the day, man, I needed the people behind me to give a hundred percent. And going through this process, you obviously had a lot of success, but also put a lot of time, energy, and effort into this. And what I see with people that I coach or that I work with is they either have low energy, low motivation, they don't recharge their batteries. So mm -hmm. through this whole journey, how did you maintain this big energy? Was it sleep? Were you eat, water, <laughs> meditating? So, <laughs> so people ask me that a lot because I'm kind of, um, I'm almost always on, okay? So while I do have an investment in super coffee, I've never tried super coffee because I've never had coffee in my life. Uh, wow, I thought I was the only one. Yeah, there's two of us now. I don't drink coffee, yeah. No, no coffee, you know, no real caffeine to, per se. Um, it's it, just water. I don't sleep much. Um, I'm kind of that four hour, five hour is way more than enough. Like I can operate. Um, I, you know, I work out a ton. Uh, I eat pretty healthy, but the energy level is kind of like this from when I wake up, I just get a cup of water and I'm like, yo, let's go. And then when I'm crashing at one o'clock in the morning, it's like, boom, I'm out. I mean, it's just, that's how I've always been. And people always ask me, what's your secret? I don't know. It's just too, I guess it's just my DNA, right? And this is how I'm, but there's definitely no caffeine, no artificial supplements outside of uh, a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so uh, tell us a little bit more about this, the business that you started, like what exactly did you do and what that journey was like? Cause you told us you bootstrapped it and you didn't have a lot of money up front. Yeah. We also know the happy ending. So sure. Middle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in 2004 and I, I, it's like so boring, right? Like talking about investments is so much cooler, but we, we, we grew a cool company. I mean, in 2004, we saw this, this thing called the internet really taking over and we, we, we had made the decision that we thought big retail customers, big retailers would really want broadband in their stores and, and secure broadband for credit card transactions. And really they weren't doing a lot of that uh, in 04. They were doing credit cards, but not using the internet and security wasn't really a big thing. And we decided, Hey, well, we're going to go out and put in broadband and secure these networks for retailers. And at the time it was, 
10 and 15 site retailers. This is when I talk to people about, it's okay to hit singles out of the gate. Like we were going after guys who had 15, 20 stores, 30 stores, right? But then it was like, we hit a couple doubles. We got a couple bigger retailers. And I'd say the names, but I think I'm violating my non-compete. But we started to go into the malls and we would have retailers. So then we got the retailer at 400 stores and we got them as a logo. And, and people would always ask, well, how did you, how did you do it with, you know, when people come to you and ask you about customers, it was real easy. I had like four and I'd go, oh, I, I got, they'd say I need references. I'd, oh, I guess I can give you four right now. Boom, 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 boom. If they asked for five, I didn't have five. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was faking a little bit until you make it. I mean, we, 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 it wasn't stretching of the truth, but it was like, you know, so we started doing this and we started getting big retailers. And when I said I had a retailer with a thousand locations, we had all thousand. Our, stuff, our, our IT stuff was in the stores, our broadband, our, our routers, our firewalls, whatever was in the stores. Um, but then we're like thinking we're all cool. We're bootstrapped. We're growing it. And 2008 hits right? And it's awful. I had just hired uh, an interim CFO. Uh, it's kind of a floating CFO, if you will, which I, which I always recommend to, to young companies. It's great to have a CFO. You can't pay them, but you can find these four hire guys who come in, maybe give you 10 hours a week. Some of those people were really, he, and, and Glenn was instrumental in our growth. He comes into our 2008 company meeting. I don't know if people we had, 15, 20 people at the time. And he goes, he comes to, to, to the three of us and he goes, hey, just full disclosure, you're going to be bankrupt in four months. And we're like, what? What? Like, we're flying high. This is great, right? Now we got to go address the whole company. It was before the meeting. And Joe goes, what are you going to say? Because it was usually as the face, really, right? I'd say, I don't know what I'm going to say. We'll just wing it. Got out there. You know, hard times require, you know, desperate measures. We all, all the officers cut their salaries, took nothing, got the company back to profitable. And from 08 to 13, it was like a lightning rod, man. We shot up, closing huge deals after huge deals. And it was, uh, and we had some of the biggest retailers um, in the country. Biggest, uh, we had tons of quick serve restaurants, QSRs. It was awesome. It was a great ride. I'm pulling a ton of money out of the business. We're making a million bucks a year or more. And <clears throat> like, I would go with like blinders on, and uh, private equity would call me all the time. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. Until finally, in 2012, a public company basically calls me. I said, I should probably take this call. This guy was worth about $500 million. And he says, we want to buy your company. And it was a well-known company. And I, so I flew down to Charlotte to meet with the guy. And um, we, I get lawyers, we put together this whole thing. And I realize, and this is a lesson for people when they're selling their business, mm. the money started falling out of the back of the truck as the deal's going forward. Like, like literally they were offering 40 million and then it was 38, then it was 34, 33. Well, yeah, 33. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm running a ridiculously good business. I have not even gone out and done what I should do, which is run a process, have, you know, let 15 companies look at me, let them take the value up. I wasn't doing that. And uh, I called my wife, I said, we're not, I'm not doing this deal. And she's like, wait, wait, what? Because we're about to be multimillionaires. And I said, because I think I can get a lot more. I'm not gonna be greedy like I saw those guys in 2000 and 2001, but I've got a business up into the right. I'm gonna go hire an amazing investment banking firm, which I did, KPMG. And uh, we ran a process and basically six, seven months later, sold the business in 13. 70% uh, of the business I sold in 13, had a tremendous exit and then worked there for another three years. And uh, I got the money back out that we had there. And it was, um, you know, the, the transaction was over $50 million and it was, uh, it was life changing. It was epic. And I'm like, where did this all come from? Did it all come from the sesame bagel or did it come? You know, it was like, you know, was Bill touching that bagel, but there's moments in those 
you know, 10, 12 years of growing the business, ups and downs, peaks and valleys, but always working my ass off. I was always the first guy. And what most people don't know is I, I never, ever left my basement, meaning everybody was remote. The entire company was remote. All the employees was remote. Now I was traveling like crazy with customers and stuff like that. It's definitely like we weren't traveling, mm -hmm. but we never had an office. We, 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 we put an office in Bethesda, Maryland, because someone asked us where our office was. So we got a Regis office, yes. like I'm in right now, <laughs> had a kitchen, you know, for everybody. And I had a conference room for everybody else in there. And we put our name on the side. And I swear, someone asked me the other day, how many times did you go down there in the 10 years that you were paying for the space? It, it, it was less than three. And we went down there, we closed it up, and we went into the office, and we were like, I mean, the dust was piled up. We just had it so we could put it on our business cards, and they'd say, you're in three Bethesda Metro Center. And be like, whoa, they're right in the hub of D.C. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, I'm in my underwear, you know, boxers, and I'm banging away. I needed a computer and a phone and my mouth, and we were good to go. And, and, and all my employees were like that. We used Skype and stuff like that. And, you know, people kept saying, well, you need an office. I'm like, I don't know what we do. We're like going like this. Like, so I legitimately built the business from my basement. That's amazing. Yeah. And do you think the defining moment or the seeds were planted or the lessons were learned during your experience at Industry Retail Group or from your past jobs working in sales, selling copiers? I, I think it's, I think... I think it's a culmination of everything, right? I think it goes back to Mrs. Krupe and Coach Martucci. I think it goes back to my parents. I think it goes back to not having fear. I think it goes back to, to, to you know, college and running that, my fraternity. I think it goes back to the mentors I learned there. I, I think it's everything. I, I think the most successful people um, use different experiences in their life, right, and make them better. I mean, I just, I, I, that's what I've done. And look, by all means, I make mistakes all the time. You know, people, a lot of people see me and they're like, look at you, man, all successful. I'm like, man, I had so many, so many failures in my personal life, in my professional life. The, 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 the list is so long. It's just that will to win and the perseverance to get there, I believe that has made me successful. And I had, and I had a, I had a, I had a wife behind me that was that was willing to sacrifice uh, a lot of her life for my professional career. We had, you know, I had kids during this time. Uh, you know, I, I had twins in 2008. I had another daughter a year before I was selling the business. I mean, it was insane. Uh, and she was very supportive. I've been very open about that because she she was behind me the entire time. And I, and I, I kind of needed that, right? I mean. I was, you know, but, but, but one of the reasons I also sold the business was we were up into the right and I wasn't going to do what happened to the first company I was at was I also wasn't getting to see my kids in the lot, right? And I wanted to be the dad who was um, coaching the teams, you know, coaching their football team or their soccer team or whatever that was and wasn't allowing me the opportunity to do that. And uh, I, I, I saw an opportunity to take some serious chips off the table, set my family up with generational wealth. And I said, I'm not trying to be you know, Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, I don't have that smart, right? I don't have a, I can't be worth a hundred billion. You know, I, I, I knew my lane I was in. I knew I could get uh, generational money, which we did. And it was, uh, it was time to go. And it was time to be, you know, just take this, the, the foot off the, the gas. Cause I, I was running hard and, and it made a lot of sense. And I'm glad I did. That's 
Great. And so I, I understand now your family life balance, which is mm-hmm. amazing and really mm-hmm. great to look up to that. How, and how, so other than finding a partner who's supportive of your career, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur who's in the midst of like the building stages who also wants to try to have that balance? Yeah. I mean, look, it's probably the most difficult part of being an entrepreneur, a founder, if you will, uh, because I was on a lot of planes and, you know, even my, my business, because I, w- I really, I was, I was the CEO. I was the face of the business without question that does not, not saying the people I surround myself weren't amazing, but with this personality and who I am, I was the guy, I was the guy getting on the planes to meet the C-suites. Uh, I had a great team behind me, but at the end of the day, I was getting on all those planes. Um, it, it, it can be very, it can be very taxing. Uh, because I mean, there were times when I'd be in California, but all right, I'm in LA. No, I'm not. I'm in San Fran. I mean, you know, it, it, it can be hard. Uh, you got, but you got to find somewhat of a work-life balance. I, you know, you never really shut it down. I mean, I mean, Saturdays and Sundays, you know, you're working. I mean, it, look, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And it goes back to what he, he said in the movie. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Or do you want to appear to be an entrepreneur? Because a lot of people like to say they're an entrepreneur, but a lot of people don't know those first three to five years, you don't take vacations. I mean, because the business needs you. I mean, you might be able to take a day or two, but you're not going away. I mean, I mean, maybe you are, but maybe, I don't know. I, it's not the way I know how to do it. You know, I, and when I hear someone who's asking me for a hundred thousand dollar check and has gone on vacation twice and I'm thinking to myself, I only went once. I mean, this is like, now I've only went once and you've gone twice and you go for 10, 12 days. I said, I've never gone for 10, 12 days. I, one time we went to Hawaii after I sold the business for like 11, 12 days. Other than that, you know, it's five, six days, you know? So yeah. it's, um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard. Work-life balance is hard and it's different for everyone. It depends on the partner you have with you, I think, going about the ride. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about mistakes and failures for a minute because some people say, you know, fail big, fall on your face. That's where you learn the biggest lessons. And I'm curious, what were your biggest failures, mistakes, or things that went wrong that specifically you learned big lessons from? Listen, man. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you a really good for instance. Um, <laughs> when I was, this was, so prior to, prior to IRG, when I was at NAS, which is the second company after the co- copier company, I mean, I was green, man. I was young. I didn't know shit, right? I, you know, I thought I did just like every 21, 22, Dan sitting next to me, he's 23, he thinks he knows everything, he knows shit. <laughs> and uh, these are good, these are good lessons, right? I remember we were, um, we were trying to close this big deal up in Boston and I was with my sales manager. And, uh, I, and this may seem trivial, but it's so true. And it, it can be applied to everyday life when you're in business. Um, I remember walking into the bathroom and I was talking to my sales manager. I'm like, yo, this is amazing. We got this guy. We're going to close this. We're going to make all this fucking money. All of a sudden you hear the toilet flush in the stall and out walks Bob Carp was his name. And Bob walks out and he goes, he kind of looks himself in the mirror, does a little buttons up. And so he goes, not yet, son. Not yet. He walks out. We don't get the deal, man. And we had, and it was, it was for me at the time would have been the biggest deal. It was life changing, but it changed how I would teach my reps and my people. I'd say, you have no idea who's lurking anywhere, doing anything, but, but I failed and I learned from that failure. There were so many instances in my career where, you know, I can think of one we just put out just yesterday on LinkedIn, you know, where, you know, we, you know, we, we had a process 
at, at my former company that was this great process that we built, repeatable, sustainable process. And we had a company come to us, a big retailer, and say, you need to change your process. You need to, to, uh, to accommodate us. And I remember thinking, well, this, it works for us. Like, we know this works. And we changed the process. And it was an epic failure, right? And, I, I, and my, Joe, my CEO, said, I think we should do this. And I, and I agreed. I think we should make the change in the process. And it went completely haywire. And we had some, our retention rate was, le our churn was less than 2% of the business. And these guys were a big retailer and they were crushing us. And you know what I did? I walked into the meeting and I said to the CIO at the time, I said, I owned it. I said, we screwed up. We screwed up bad. We listened to you. I said, so two things are gonna happen here. Either one, you're gonna do it our way, or two, we gotta part ways because we know what we're doing. And it was, it, we made a big, big, big mistake. But the way I got out of that mistake was just being honest with the person and saying, hey, we screwed up because we messed up and listened to you and we broke our process. And uh, you know, we turned it around with those guys. And, and I, that's happened time and time in my career. And even, even in my new career when I'm investing, like I made the mistake, I got a little celebrity happy and I was, that's so not me, but I, cause I don't get starstruck when I'm walking down the streets in LA or Manhattan and I see a star. I'm not like, Oh my God, let me get your autograph. I'm like, follow your rule. They're not part in the Red Sea. They're not walking on water. They're not doing anything different than what I'm doing or what you're doing. So you know, look, there's been epic failures. You just pick yourself up and, you know, think of, Oh wait, when we were going to go bankrupt and walking out to that, those guys, I didn't want to look at them and be like, Hey, we're we failed you. We failed your families. I got to know these people's families intimately. I knew them. I knew their kids. I knew the problems their kids had or their husband or their wives had. And I didn't want to fail them. So it was like, cut your salary for a year, do nothing, and just change what you're doing and figure it out because that's what you do. You figure shit out because that's who you are. I love that. That's amazing. I want to ask you a question <clears throat> related to family again. You talked about creating generational wealth, something you should be very proud of. Mm -hmm. Now, however, I was just watching this show on HBO called Succession about a billionaire family and how the kids are all messed up doing drugs. How do you think about keeping your kids motivated so that they are hungry and they don't take things for granted and just advice to people out there who are successful who have children? So my kids are starting to become closer to teenagers, right? A couple of them. Um, you know, they're in that kind of little tween area, right? Getting there. Um, this is the way <laughs> I try to do it, all right? I mean, look, I, I, I'm not husband, father of the year, but this is what I try to do. I try to teach my kids and discipline my children to some degree the same way my parents did for me. Because we grew up middle class, you know, everyone had a BMX, I had a Huffy. You know, everyone shopped at The Gap, we shopped at Kmart. That's just how we were, that's how my parents were. And I remember thinking about that when I was a kid. We did something wrong, we went to our rooms, we got punished. We talked back, we got punished, we got sent to our room. Now today it's different because you got all the digital devices, now it's cut off the devices. I do my very best, This I'm only speaking for me, to ensure that my kids who do live in a completely different life than I grew up with, that they're completely normal. I treat them the way my parents treated. I don't give them everything. You know, they've got to earn it. They've got chores. They've got to do it. And a lot of people can sit out there and say, well, I do the same thing. No, no, I really, really stick to it. You know, my son and daughters are all really good kids. Um, and, I, and, I, uh, and I hope that they remain that way. I also, I think it's important to surround myself this is totally true. I've said this before. Surround myself with good friends who have good kids that I see those kids are being treated similarly the way I do. Because I do. I run in a circle where I have people I know and their kids literally run them. 
and like run off and they treat them like shit. And I'm like, I like the guy or the woman or I like that couple, but I can't really be friends with them because I don't want my son to see that or my daughters to see that. Mm. And, and I think you surround yourself with people who have like-minded, you know, manners, discipline stuff. You know, you're not going to be perfect, but like we literally I, I run away from situations in that sense. When we see the kids, a terror to the adults, like we can't be friends with them. I can't have them seeing that. And again, we live, we live a very good life. Uh, it's modest to, to to some degree, um, but it's, uh, it is what it is, man. I, I discipline my kids and I, it, I treat them with love. Like growing up and my, I say this for my mom and dad, my father was tougher and my mom, he's hardcore Sicilian. He was tough, you know, and not a ton of I love yous from my dad, but he was a really, really good man. My mother was the one who would give you the hugs and the kisses and gave you that love. I very much tried to be a little of my mom and dad with my kids, and I absolutely kiss them every night and say goodnight to them, tell them I love them. Uh, Dan, who's with me, he knows this. I have an alarm on my phone. If I'm not home and they're getting on the bus for school, which is usually between 8.35 and 8.40, if I'm somewhere... My alarm goes off. I pick it up. I say good morning to them if I can't see them. And my alarm goes off at nine o'clock at night if I'm out at a dinner or somewhere and they're home and I to call them and say, dad, just want to say good night. And I, that's the best way I know how. I don't know how it's going to translate over the next five years, but I'm just going to keep doing it the same way. That's awesome. Uh, getting to a close here. I want to yeah. ask you a question about success mm-hmm. and leadership and all these qualities that you possess. Mm-hmm. I want to ask it about you and then just sort of generally with people. Do you think that leaders and successful people are born or are they made? I think you can take somebody who's got leadership abilities and make them a great leader. I, 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 I'm because I've met so many people in my life that I, I don't know if you can take that person who comes out of the womb, who's more of a follower, and this is not a knock on someone like that, and make them a leader. I, I, I kind of think they're born, I don't know, maybe that's not what people want to hear, but the most successful people I have met, the most dynam- dynamic people I met, whether they, they're like me, which is type AAA, or they're not, usually just people tend to flock to them. Like, they come into a room and whether they're a silent leader or probably more of a leader like me, which is very vocal, people just want to be around them. They want to be close to them. They want to, they want to kind of feel what that is. Maybe they can get a little of that positive energy that comes off of those people. Um, I talk about it all the time. The, 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 I'm a huge, huge, huge sports fan. I mean, I love everything but hockey, everything but hockey, right? No offense to hockey, but I just can't get into it, but I love everything. I watch so it's very difficult in business to look at someone and be like, well, I'm like that person. Like I'm like Jeff Bezos. I'm like Mark. It's very hard to do that because it's different circles. But what I love about sports and people like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Michael Phelps, all these people who are tremendous at their craft, you can look at them and be like, oh my God, like they're the best tennis. Serena is the best tennis. There's no one who hits a ball better than her. And I, I flock to that. It's because I just watch it. I watch greatness. I watch LeBron at 34 years old, do what he does. And you're just like, what? Like that's, you know, I just debate my business partner. I'll tell you who's better Jordan or LeBron. And I'm like, I mean, I love Jordan as a kid. Jordan was my guy, but I'm like, this dude, LeBron is the 
animal. He's unbelievable up and down the court. He's so great. And I just love it that I get to watch greatness and poetry and motion with Phelps when he was swimming in those Olympics. You're like, oh, he's, he's buying. Oh, no chance. Oh, here we go. Oh, and he wins. And you're like, you got another gold. You're like, how many golds is this guy going to win? He keep coming back and Serena. And it's just, to me, it's amazing watching those things. And, and those people, yes, they, they were born incredible athletes, but they worked on their craft. LeBron James, I, that guy's shootout workout is legendary. Phelps' workout is legendary. So just because you have the talent or the ability to be a leader doesn't mean you are. And I've run into so many people who literally squander that ability. And I look at them and I go, man, you're twice the leader I am or twice as good at this than I am. And you're screwing it all up. And that always irks the shit out of me because I just want people to be great. I want people to succeed and win and be great. Yes. I love that. So what is next for you? You've uh, had so much business success. You have the family, you have the LV group now, so you're doing investing. Yeah. Um, but outside the scope, like if you were to be a little philosophical, what, mm -hmm. what's, what do you want in your life or what do you aspire to in the next coming decade? I probably like a little bit more peace <laughs> in my life. I mean, I, I certainly, create a lot of my own chaos. And I don't know if that's because it's me. I don't know if that's, again, back to the DNA, but I'm hoping that I can get some more balance in my life. And I know we just talked about it, but like I, there are parts of me would like to kind of slow it down a little. I, you know, I don't know if I can do that, but, you know, some peace, you know, and, and a little bit a little bit, a little more, I'm actually calmer than I am when I ran the company. Uh, but I don't know, a little bit more peace, I think. I, you know, I, to your point, I'd love to see my kids grow up and be great young, you know, teenagers and young adults. And hopefully, you know, my wife with her doing and me with my doing, we can, we can help do that for them. Uh, I, I just want, I want my kids to be healthy. I want my family to be healthy. Uh, that's so important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, we're both friends with Jesse Itzler and one of his books is called Living with the Monks. Yes. And I'm going to make a short plug for my audience, but maybe something for you to consider. Uh, last year when I was going through a lot of business chaos and a breakup, I flew to Asheville, North Carolina, and I did a five day silent meditation retreat. Uh, how was and that? Yeah, the first day I was like, no, they had to rip the iPhone out of my hand. And then it's like the mob guy who's got the gun in his shoe. I had to take my, my second phone out of my shoe. It's you, like, really do you really did do that? I had the burner phone, yeah, the back phone. Oh. <laughs> you had the burner phone. You know, with Facebook, Instagram, email. You had it, right. Uh, did, it, did it change your life? Yeah, I mean, it was really a game changer for me because I think you remind me a lot of myself where you feed off of the energy and the chaos that we create because it's exciting and it's fun. Sure. And for me to like let go of that because I, I want peace, but then I had and I was like, this is boring or this is different or this is weird. Right. So the sort of forced five-day event kind of, you know, you're like this for the first day and then you're like this, like, okay, this isn't so bad. And then by the end, yeah. Do you find yourself able to unwind and discharge now Does, did that experience help you say you know what i'm gonna put my phone and instagram and facebook and all this other social media bullshit behind me for the day can you do that now it made me more open to experiences for example on new year's eve which was just last week yeah, where yeah. my girlfriend was like all right we can go to this dance club party or we can go to this meditation event in brooklyn and I was like, let's go to the meditation thing. And we went and we sat there and we breathed. And I was like, wow, this was like North Carolina. So I'm not going to turn this podcast off and then go meditate for an hour. I'm going to go yeah. to my next meeting. Right. But 
tonight I'll unplug. And that experience is, makes me more prone to unplugging. And so, so the moral, the moral to your story is meditate on new year's Eve. Yes. Don't have fun guys. Go zone out. Maha Rose. <laughs> That's what you should name this podcast. Yes. Meditating on new year's Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing beer pong, but <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, just, just the plug, but Mike, I really want to truly thank you for sharing this, your story with my audience. Is there any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave with everyone? You know, listen, just, Get after it every single day of your life. Try to find your passion and live it. I feel like so many people are stuck in a rut, whether they're commuting to Manhattan or commuting anywhere. And it's like, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of misery if that's really weighing in on you. And I get it. People have families and they have to support their families. But my God, if you could get some of that time back and channel it into something that you're passionate about, just go do it. It's gonna make your life so much better. Even if you're making less money, you're gonna feel better about your life. Yes, that's amazing. And last question is for those out there who want to hear more from you, either see your Instagram or learn more about the business, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on IG at Michael Luzio, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L-U-Z-I-O. I'm certainly on LinkedIn, you know, just look me up, Mike Luzio. Some guys got Mike Luzio Instagram. I couldn't get it back, he's over and wherever. So I'm Michael Luzio on Instagram. LinkedIn, I'm, uh, you know, Mike, Lu Mike Luzio. So, you know, hook up, man. I I'm happy to listen. Always looking at business ideas and, you know, would love to catch up with anybody. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Guys, Mike is a beast. Check him out online. Massive business advice. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Appreciate the time.